questions. In life, we ask questions. If you have young children in your home, you hear many, 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 many questions. Why this? Why that? But I think in, in life, we generally understand that if we want to know something in life, what do we do? We ask a question. If we want to gain understanding or we want to gain knowledge in a certain subject matter or a certain topic, what do we do? We ask questions. We ask questions in relationships. If you want to have a better relationship with those around you, if you want to have better conversations with those that you know, there's an art of asking good questions. I think of even conversations that we have over our phones. If you want to know something, you send a text. You say, uh, where are we going to eat? And on your text message thread, what you see is these three bubbles, right? And you're like, great, they're going to answer my question. I'm going to know exactly what I need to know. And then the bubbles go away. And you're like, oh, no, right? This is going to be a while now. All right, but questions are a part of life. And what we have here in this text today is we have God asking 70 plus questions of Job. I would encourage you this week, take some time and read chapters 38 through 41 for yourself. To hear these questions that God is posing to Job. Because in many ways it sets the stage for what we will talk about this morning. This morning we will see how Job responds to God. How is he going to respond to this barrage of questions that God has asked of him? And what we see is Job responds in many ways. He responds with humility. He responds in admitting that he has very limited knowledge while God's knowledge of how the world works and God's knowledge of his own life is unlimited. It's limitless. He surrenders his life to God. And so here's my main point this morning, if you're taking notes, jot this down somewhere. As we look at the life of Job here, we're going to be in Job chapter 42. We see this. In hard seasons, and we all go through them, right? in seasons of suffering and pain and loss, in hard seasons, we walk humbly with God. In hard seasons, we walk humbly with God. How would you describe a hard season. You don't have to answer out loud, but think in your mind. What comes to mind when you think of a hard season? Or maybe it's a hard week or a hard month or a hard year that you've been walking through. How would you describe that? For many of us, hard seasons is where stress lies. It's where anxiety lies. It's where we're not sure where to turn. We're not sure which decision to make. Maybe we're walking through seasons of loss or grief or pain or health issues. The list goes on and on. But the reality is we all have hard seasons. And I think the key word here for us this morning is the word perspective. Because we all go through different trials. We all go through different hardships. There's no one size fits most, one size fits all for hardships. That's why the Bible talks about trials that are various in nature. That we all face various trials, trials of many kinds. But when we persevere in faith, our faith grows. 
When you think of the phrase, walking humbly, what comes to mind? Again, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to be thinking, what are the, the, the stories that come to mind or the people that come to mind? How would you describe this phrase, walk humbly with God? I believe it's serving others. It's considering the needs of others as more important than yourself. It's surrendering your life to God and submitting your life to his will and what he desires for you. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of self-centeredness. We're called to walk humbly with God. We're going to be in Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6 today. If you're new to God's word, take your phone, open your browser, type in Job 42 Bible in the search, and it'll come up for you. Job 42, verses 1 through 6, we're going to be there for the entirety of this morning. And what we see as we look at these verses is we see again how Job responds to God. And how he responds is a response of submission. Submitting in humility to his God. He does so by proclaiming three truths. The first one is this. God's power and God's plan won't fail. We say that again. God's power and plan won't fail. We see this in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Then Job answered the Lord, and he said, again, he is responding to God's challenge. He is responding to God's questions. How will he respond? Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I'm going to pause there for a moment just to think about the power of the words that Job just used. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, no plan, no purpose of yours, God, can be stopped. No plan or purpose of yours, God, can be defeated. You will have the victory. Job is proclaiming and declaring this truth over his situation. I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, The theological term here is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That God can do everything. He can do all things in accordance with his will. We serve a great God. We serve an almighty God, a powerful God. And Job is declaring this truth here in our passage this morning. And as we look at these two verses here for a moment, what we see is that our limited power and plans are very clear. Like if we're honest, we recognize that our power and our plans are very small and very limited, while God's power and his plans are unlimited. They're endless and they're full of power. We see that our wisdom is inferior while God's wisdom is superior to ours. It reminds me of another story in the Old Testament, the story of Abraham. If you're, if you're new to God's word, Abraham is kind of the father of the Old Testament and, and our faith as, as believers. And God called Abraham. And when he called Abraham, he gave him a number of promises. And one of those promises is that his family, his line, his family tree, would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. There's only one problem. 
Abraham and his wife Sarah were getting very, very old, like 90s, 100 old. Right? And so Abraham is starting to question and starting to worry and wonder about this plan or this promise that God has given. But check out what God says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The understood answer here, no. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And God says, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And yes, God was good on his promise. Isaac was born. All right. Think about the New Testament and the life and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus many times talked about how with God all things are possible. Right? With man, there's a lot of things that are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We see this in the story where Jesus is having a conversation with a rich man. And he says these words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples then ask him, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved, Jesus? And Jesus responds with these words. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God's power and God's plan will not fail. If you think about it, it really comes down to control comes down to control. Who has the control of your life? Has anyone ever felt out of control? Right? Your life kind of feels a little bit out of control. Anybody? I think we all can resonate with that. It makes me think of a time, this is like the week leading up to Lydia and I's uh, marriage, our, our wedding. And I remember I was, I was back home with her. We were uh, getting the property ready because our reception was at her parents' house. And, and so we were doing some yard work and some things around the house. And I remember one of the projects was they were taking all of this, this rock and putting it around some of the trees that lined the, the road, the path that went down to where our reception was going to take place. And so as, as the man, right, I'm like, I'm not going to shovel that into a wheelbarrow and do all that work. Like, my father-in-law has a uniloader. Now, if you're wondering what a uniloader is, I've got a picture for you here on the screen. All right, that's a uniloader. Um, this is not me, I promise, all right? I did not do this, all right? But I know who did, okay? Um, but I want, to, I want you to know what we're talking about. And so this is a uniloader. And so my job in this project was to scoop up the rocks, take them over to Lydia and her mom, who were then putting them around the trees and making them look pretty, all right? I didn't have a whole lot of experience driving these things. Um, if you've ever driven one, you know they're a little bit difficult to control, especially if you have a heavy load in the bucket, and so I get in this thing, and I'm all confident. I'm going I'm to take this over. My new bride's going to be really impressed with me. All right? And I remember it started to get out of control. And if you're not careful in these things, they start to buck and rock. And so all of a sudden, I'm like on this bull of a uniloader, and it's bouncing back and forth, and rocks are going everywhere. And I thought I had gotten away with it. Like they didn't see it. And so I like kind of turned around, you know, just checking. They saw it. And my mother-in-law now and my, my now wife, they were laughing, right? They, they thought it was so funny because I got into it kind of prideful thinking I was the man and I found out I wasn't the man at all, right? In life, we can find ourselves out of control. We think if we can control things and we know what, what's going on and we make the decisions in our lives, that we can figure it out. But it comes down to who is 
controlling our lives. And I believe God calls us to trust his control as we walk through the days of our life. Because God's power and his plan will not fail. It won't fail. So here's the question. How will you trust God's power and plan this week? How is God calling you to trust his power, to trust his plan, to trust what he is doing and working and moving in your life? How's he calling you to trust him? If I could challenge you in one way as kind of a follow-up to this question, I would want you to think of one specific trial in your life. Again, because we all have hardships. We all have difficult things in our lives. So what's the one thing? Think of one trial, one hardship that you find yourself walking through this week. And how are you going to trust God's plan? How are you going to trust God's power in that trial? Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. And as we go through this passage, he will help you apply God's word to your life. That's one of his roles in our lives, as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. But I want you to think of one area of your life that God is calling you to entrust to him. And to help you with this, I want to share with you a verse that I came across this week that I think is so powerful and helps us apply this truth to our lives. It's in Psalm 91, verse 2. And I'm just going to kind of old school, bring up some cards to maybe help this stand out in your mind. Because I want you to remember these words as you go into this week. All right, say these words to yourself. Preach these truths to yourself this week as you face trial and hardship, as you seek to trust the Lord and to follow his powerful plan in your life. It's in Psalm 91, verse 2, where it says, My refuge, okay, refuge. God is our refuge. What does this mean? He's our place of security. Place of security. He's, he's the one we go to for safety, He's the one we go to for protection and and, and security in life. He's our refuge. Go to your refuge, your God, this week. We also see in Psalm 91, he says, My refuge and my my fortress. It's a a safe haven. It's a place of great protection from enemies and those who want to drag us down. God is our fortress. He's the one we go to. Run to your fortress, your God, this week. We also see in this passage in Psalm 91, a great verse to memorize. It says, my refuge and my fortress, my God. My God. This means that God, the one we pray to, the one we love, the one we worship, is our creator. He is our redeemer. He sent his only son, Jesus, to be the savior of our lives. He is our God, the ruler, sustainer of our lives. And lastly, it says, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust. Church, trust is more than words. It's a deep-hearted belief. It's to rely on. It's to cast all of your anxieties, all of your burdens. It's to place all of your weight on God because he will never fail you. He is a God that you can trust. My refuge my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I challenge you this week to commit that verse to memory. 
to remind yourselves of the truth of God's powerful plan and how he desires that plan to be worked out in your life. So the first thing that Job responds with is this. God's power and plan won't fail. The second thing we see is that God's knowledge is infinite. God's knowledge is infinite. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. It says this in verse 3. And this, just so you know what's going on here in the passage, Job is quoting God, and then he's responding to that quote. Okay, So in verse 3, for example, Job quotes God by saying, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Where do we find this? You can find this in Job 38, verses 2 and 3. You can find it in Job 40, verse 7. He is quoting directly what God has asked of him. And so before he responds, before he kind of hauls off and answers these questions, he quotes them to make sure it's clear. Job says, who is it, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And Job responds by saying this, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job here is confessing that he didn't understand That when he was speaking with his friends and having conversations with these individuals, he didn't fully understand what was going on in his life. He's admitting this, confessing this, that I didn't have the knowledge, God. And I will never have the knowledge, God, that you do. It's interesting here in this passage, five separate times Job uses terms that speak of knowledge, counsel, or understanding. Job is recognized after all of these questions that God has asked him that maybe he doesn't understand as much as he thought he did. Maybe his perspective was a little bit off. He then says in verse 4, again, quoting God, saying, Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. And Job responds to God's statement, his question, by saying this in verse 5, I had heard of you but by the, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I notice the contrast there in verse 5. You have hearing on one side, and you have seeing on the other. You have what happens when we listen with our ears, and what happens which is something very much different when we see something with our eyes. It's the difference between hearsay or gossip. Like I heard this or someone said that and being a firsthand eyewitness account to something that goes on. What Job is saying here is remarkable. He said, God, I've heard of you. I've heard things. I've heard truths about you, which has informed Job's faith to a certain extent. But now he has seen Now he has experienced, now he has come to know God is who he's heard about God. He is the reality of this word. He is the one true God who knows all things. Job's kind of distant experience with God has now become a personal reality in his life. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, you understand this transaction 
Because there was a time in all of our lives when we were far from God. Maybe we knew certain things about him. But it's not till that moment of salvation that we give our lives over to him that we now see and experience the light of Jesus Christ. We walk out of darkness and into the glorious light of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's come to know God in a different way. He sees it. It's a powerful reality for Job's life. So what we see here in verses 3 to 5 is very simple. God's knowledge is infinite. Job confesses here that the Lord's knowledge is so far beyond his knowledge that he cannot comprehend the knowledge of God. I wonder this morning if you've ever blurted out something without thinking. Anybody honest this morning, willing to admit that, right? You know, your mom or maybe your grandma told you when you were a kid, like, you need to think before you speak, but we fail to apply that truth or that principle in our lives, right? Um, About a week ago, I was on vacation with my family, and um, we were down in a place where there's sunshine, and there's a beach and an ocean, okay? Okay. but it was kind of busy this time of year for whatever reason. And so every day that we went to the beach, there was a parking lot. And there's not a ton of parking spaces in this beach parking lot. And we needed a parking space, okay? Because we got four kids. We got a lot of stuff. We need to find a parking space and get to the beach as quick as possible. All right? And so we're, the whole week, we're trying to find out which, which time is best to go to the beach. How do we avoid traffic? How do we avoid um, the parking lot being full? And I don't know if we truly figured it out. Because I remember one time we were there around noon, and it was slammed. You got cars, like, circling the parking lot like vultures, just waiting for someone to come off the beach, and so you can steal their parking lot. You're, like, you're, you're driving around, hey, are you leaving? Oh, you are? Can I follow you to your car until you're done, right? It's kind of awkward, but you're like, I have to have a spot. There is no other option. And I remember this was a day where we had been circling for probably 20 minutes. I'm getting a little bit uh, frustrated right? I'm a little frustrated because just want to get to the beach. And so there's someone who comes out and we're like, we're going to get that one. And so we kind of speed over. We're going to follow them over. And right before they got to their parking spot so that we could take it, some other car came flying in from the back and took it in front of me. And they looked at me and had the nerve to say, oh, we've been following them for like the whole time. And I'm like, oh no, you haven't, right? You have not been following them the whole time. Um, I wanted to say something in that moment. I'm glad I didn't. I chose to use sarcasm instead, which doesn't always work, but in this situation, I think it did. And so I just leaned out the window and said, I'll arm wrestle you for it, right? It was like some like 65-year-old woman, right? Which was never gonna happen, right? (laughs) All right. We blurt things out without thinking sometimes. And many times that is where regret lies. We're like, why did I say that? That was so dumb, right? Just let the 65-year-old woman have her spot, right? It's okay. You'll find one. You know, and so as we look at the life of Job, if we had the time to go back and read the entire conversation between Job and his friends, what you would see is Job in, in moments is responding in emotion. The feelings of suffering and hardship are real. And so what Job is doing here is he is confessing that the Lord's knowledge is far beyond his own knowledge. And that our words matter. 
and that we need to be careful in how we talk to others, but more importantly, we need to be careful in how we talk to God. That we talk to God with a sense of reverence, a sense of worship, that we have a healthy fear of the creator God of the universe who knows all and is all powerful and has all things resting in the palm of his hand. I love what Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36 says. It says this, oh, the depth, right? Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Think about just the vast expanse of God's knowledge. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Like all of these questions, the understood answer is no one. No one can do these things because God is that great. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God's knowledge is incomprehensible for us as mere human beings. And so if God's knowledge is infinite, if he is all-knowing, here's the question for us this morning. What's confusing in your life right now? What are you confused by? What are you wrestling with? What questions do you have? What answers are you seeking? And I would want to encourage you as someone who loves you and wants to see you grow in your relationship with Christ, God can handle our questions and he is an overflowing resource of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And where do we find that? We find it in the pages of God's word. What's confusing in your life? Again, I believe the Holy Spirit will help you apply this truth to your life. I believe he will highlight the areas of your life that God is calling you to work on or the answers in your life that you need. But I would challenge you this week to take inventory of your life. What I mean by inventory is to look at the different areas and the compartments of your life, the questions that are up in the air and you're not sure where to turn. Turn to God. Seek his wisdom, seek his counsel, seek his advice. Because his knowledge and understanding is limitless. I've been reading a book over the last couple weeks. And in this book, the author asks four questions that I think are helpful and maybe a good exercise for all of us to do this week. These are the four questions. As you think about your life, as you take inventory of your life, ask, what's right? What's right? What are the good things in your life that you can celebrate? What are the great things that are happening that you can praise God for? Because we know from God's word that all blessings come down from heaven. Every good gift comes from the Father above. So what's right in your life? The second question is, what's wrong? What are the issues that are present in your life? What are the broken spaces in your life? Where's the grief, the hardship, the pain, the suffering? Verbalize those things. And ask for God to comfort you and to help you during those times of need. So what's right? What's wrong? Thirdly, what's confusing? This is the highlighted one for our section today. What's confusing? What are you wrestling through? What decisions do you need to make? Go to God for that advice. And lastly, what's missing? Maybe God is calling you to take a next step. To add a discipline to your life. Maybe it's spending more time in God's word like we just heard about earlier from Pastor Bruce. 
that this month that you would commit to being in God's word every single day to know his will for your life. What's right, what's wrong, what's confusing, what's missing. Our second point this morning is God's knowledge is infinite. Here's the third one. We're called to humbly submit to God. Why? Because that brings true comfort. Humbly submitting our lives to God brings true comfort in life. Look at verse six. It says this. This is Job's conclusion. He says, therefore I despise myself. Now he's not like self-hating here. This isn't saying I hate myself. What I believe Job is getting at here is he is admitting his ignorance. He is regretting what he has said. Maybe you've had this experience in your life. You say something that you wish you didn't and you're like, I wish I could just take it all back. I wish I could erase those words and the things that I have said. Therefore, I despise myself, Job says, and I repent in dust and ashes. It's interesting here that Job is still in dust and ashes. If you remember back all the way at the beginning, Job chapter one and two, he is sitting broken, he is torn his clothes, he is sitting in ashes broken before the Lord. And here at the very end, He is still in dust and ashes. It's a position of humility. It's a symbol of grief. He is broken, and we see him trusting his God. Humbly submitting to God brings true comfort. Now, there's an interesting word here, this very last line of our section today. He says, and I repent in dust and ashes. There's been a lot of debate on what this word repent means. Now, if you're familiar with God's word and the word repent, that's great. If not, typically the word repent means simply to turn from. That you were living in a certain way and you repent and you turn and go the other way. All right, but the debate about this passage is if you look at maybe the bottom of your copy of God's word, you might see a footnote where it says this. Many English translations include this footnote and it says, or it could be translated and am comforted. And so it would read then, therefore I despise myself and am comforted in dust and ashes. So what is it? Is Job repenting of sin here? Is he confessing sinful words and sinful actions on his part? Or is he being comforted by the goodness and the grace of God in this moment? Which is it? Well, it's interesting, back in chapter 2, the same word is used when Job's friends came to show him sympathy and to comfort him. You also see in the book of Job, there's this consistent ongoing theme where Job is in search for true comfort in life. And he's not finding it. Remember when his own wife came to him and said, curse God and die. Like his closest relationship has turned from him and is not comforting him in this difficult suffering. You then read 35 some chapters of his friends having conversation with him and the resounding refrain of what they're saying to him is what? There must be something in your life, Job. You must have sinned in some way because this would not happen if you were living a righteous life. But another theme that we see in the book of Job is that Job was a blameless man. 
his high moral character. He was a man of of consistent faithfulness before the Lord. Now we know that that there is no perfect human that's ever walked the face of the earth except for the Lord Jesus who was God and man. So it wasn't that Job was perfect, but by what God's word says, he was faithful and he was not suffering because of sin. I believe translating this word comfort is also consistent with God's declaration that Job has spoken of him what is right. If you just look into next week's passage for just a moment, verse seven, it says, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite. So now he's going to rebuke Job's friends. He says, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So next week, we're gonna talk about how God is rebuking Job's friends for what they said, but he is commending what Job has said. So I believe a better translation of this word repent is to look at it as that God is comforting, that Job is being comforted as he sits in ashes, as he sits in a season of brokenness because of the suffering that has come to his life. Job, just to make this clear, is a human that is humble before a transcendent God. Makes me think of James chapter seven, verses seven through 10. It's not gonna be on the screen. I just wanna read this for you. It says this, James chapter four, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will, there's a promise, he will exalt you, he will lift you up. So here's the question. What's keeping you from submitting to God? What is it in your life that is holding you back? What's keeping you from submitting your entire life, every area of your life, every compartment of your life to the creator of the universe who loved you enough to send his only son to die for you so that you could have eternal life and salvation in his name? What's holding you back? Maybe it's suffering. As we talked about the story of Job, maybe you are walking through a season of hardship, suffering, pain, or loss. And if you're honest this morning, that is hard for you to submit your life to God because of it. Or maybe for you, it is an area of sin. As you look and take inventory of your life, you notice there is pride, there's selfishness. Maybe there's specific sin or an addiction that is in your life that's holding you back or keeping you from a close relationship with God. Maybe it's an earthly relationship that's keeping you from knowing God and being close to him. Maybe it's the desire for riches. I'm not sure what it is, but again, I believe if you allow him, the Holy Spirit will illuminate those areas of your life. He will lead you into truth and help you apply God's word to your life. What's keeping you from submitting to God? Church, I would want you to hear this, that there is freedom and forgiveness. 
So many times we hold on to our sin, we hold on to our brokenness when freedom and forgiveness are available if we would just release those to God. As we think about this word comfort, I want you to know that there is comfort in relational peace. When you are in right relationship with God, when you and God are good, there's comfort in that truth. When you're living your life in a way that is honoring to him, glorifying him, worshiping him with your words and your actions and your motives and the decisions that you're making, there's comfort in that. God blesses that life. And so here's the challenge that I would give you. As you think about your life and you take inventory of your life this week, I would challenge you to take one step toward Christ this week. Just one step. A lot of times we start thinking of all the things that are wrong in our lives, all the things that need to be better, all the things that we need to fix, and it's overwhelming, and then we end up doing what? Nothing. Take one step. One small step toward Christ this week. And I promise you, you'll begin to experience that freedom and that comfort that God offers to us. It'll draw us back to our vision. Right? Connect, grow, serve. Bruce talked about it at the beginning. Maybe for you, God is calling you to step out of isolation and into community. That you would connect with other believers. That you would be vulnerable and real with the lives of those around you. That you would step into relationship with other followers of Jesus. There's all kinds of ways for you to get connected here. All kinds of ways for you to build good friendships. God honoring friendships here at Maranatha Bible Church. Maybe for you, it's the grow emphasis. You're like, you know what? I don't know Christ like I ought to. I don't have a relationship with God like I should. And so this week, I'm gonna take a small step towards Christ. And I'm gonna spend time in his word. I'm gonna spend time with him in prayer. And it might only be five minutes to start. But I'm gonna set that goal. I'm gonna make that discipline a reality in my life and watch how God begins to transform you. If you need help with that, we'd love to push you and encourage you in a certain direction when it comes to reading God's word and going deeper with Christ. Maybe it's serving. You're sitting here and you're like, I, I have spiritual gifts. I know that. I'm not sure what they are. But I know God wants me to serve and I'm not doing that. Again, there's all kinds of ways for you to serve and to be a blessing to the people of our church and to the community of people around us. Just take one small step. Take a step in the right direction. What's keeping you from submitting your life to God? This morning, our main point, it's very simple. But I pray that it resounds in your mind as you go throughout this week. Because we all face hard seasons. We all face hardships. It looks different, my guess is, for every person in this room. But you're not alone. There's a community of believers around you who want to encourage you and uplift you and pray for you. But this week as you go from here, remember, in hard seasons we walk humbly with God. One step in front of the other, we walk humbly with God, trusting him for our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Job. Father, I ask that you might awaken our hearts this morning, that Holy Spirit, you would guide, that Holy Spirit, you would lead us into all truth. God, I pray that, that every person in this room this morning would recognize the powerful plans of God that you have for us. 
God, I pray that everyone in this room, myself included, would be reminded of the infinite knowledge that you possess and how we're called to trust you and honor you in our lives, God. And God, I pray that you would break the pride of all of us, that you would humble us, that God, we would walk humbly before you, that we would submit our lives to you knowing that there is comfort and peace and forgiveness and freedom in a life that is lived well before you. And so God, we cast our hearts to you this morning. We ask for your leading and your guidance in our lives. And God, we ask that you would be honored, that your name would be lifted high. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, that today, Holy Spirit, you would work in their heart and God, that you would save their life. That you would draw them into a relationship with you and that today would be the start of a new journey walking with you. Father, we thank you for Jesus and we ask all of these things in the powerful name that is his. Amen.